We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's move over to the mailbag, Ryan, and, and I'm going to start off right here with Archer 452. Archer said, Notre Dame was the number one in the recruiting rankings last summer and finished 13th in 247 rankings. They are currently third. Where do you think they finished this year? I don't care. I really don't. I don't care what anybody says. If you're going to try and tell me that there were 12 classes better than Notre Dame's last year, I'm going to tell you you're on drugs. Or you don't know what you're talking about. There were not 12 classes better than Notre Dame's next year. And so I don't really care where it finishes. I really don't. You would be hard-pressed for me to say they should be outside the top seven last year. And that's, try, for me, trying to be as as kind as possible, right, and, and objective as possible. There were not 12 classes better than Notre Dame's next year. So I really don't care where 247 has them or on – I don't even know how on three does their rankings – or honestly, where Rivals has them. I really don't. I care about, do I look at that class and say, that's a really good class? And everybody keeps trying to compare Notre Dame to Alabama. And I'm, I'm telling you all, that's not how Notre Dame is going to win. They're going to win a much more like Clemson did. Where Clemson, what did Clemson do? They mixed in some high-level players that were highly ranked with guys that, that weren't. You look at that offense. They landed a big-time quarterback in, in Trevor Lawrence. Justin Ross was pretty highly ranked. T. Higgins was pretty highly ranked. You know who was not highly ranked? Travis Etienne and almost their entire offensive line. Yeah. Right? You look at their defense. Dexter Lawrence, highly high-ranked recruit. Uh, some of their other guys were highly ranked recruits. You know who was not a very highly ranked recruit? Clearly Isaiah Carl. Simmons. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Isaiah Simmons was not a very highly ranked recruit. I think Cleland Farrell was a uh, – wasn't he a, a military school guy? Like, he had to go to, like – not sure. Uh, no, he was a private school kid, actually. Um, Rivals had him outside the top 100. Right? He's a good player, but obviously ended up being a lot better than than people thought he would be. And so that's just kind of where they're going to have to be. Clemson had zero – I've said this before. Clemson had zero top five classes leading into their two title teams. Zero. The first time they had a top five class was after the second title. And that top five class has not, won an eight, has not done a thing yet. And, and so that's who they're going to have to be. It's about the talent, the balance, meeting your needs, and then combining the high-level talent that you know of, which they did last year, with 
the Charles Jagasaws, the Drake Bowens, the Christian Grays, the Jaden Osberries. Um, did I say Jaden Greathouse? I know. No, you didn't. He was one. Braylon James. Like there was those high level guys like that that we just knew had ability. But then they also went out and got the lower floor height, the Armel Mukums, the Brandon Hillmans, and it didn't work out. But they ended up, you know, but they got them. The Bubakar Traoris, the guys like that that you're like, you know, this guy may not be there right now, but the tools yeah. are there for him to eventually become a big time player. And that's kind of and when when they first got in on Jeremiah Love, he wasn't considered a highly ranked recruit. He was a three star by a yeah. couple of platforms when they yeah. first got on him. And so it's about finding the talent and then with this with the high ceilings and then and then figuring it out. That's really what it boils down to, Brian. And that's I mean, you know, that's where that's where they have to get to. That's where Notre Dame has to get to. But I just I don't care. I, I really don't. And and that's not meant to be flippant or disrespectful to you. I get where you're coming from, but I just I really don't care. You you are you are correct. Actually rivals did not even have Jeremiah Love ranked. Like they don't even think they yeah. gave him a grade. He he then jumped into the top hundred after <laughs> after like he had a really good summer workout and a bunch of offers came in, but like they jumped him up because of the offers. And then and of course Notre Dame got on him pretty early, man. They got on love right. pretty early. They did. And then of course he commits to Notre Dame and he's ranked 52nd, then drops 70 spots after he commits to Notre Dame. Which I'm sure. Yeah. And then he has a dynamic senior year and no one sure. cares apparently. So, yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, it was funny because he committed to Notre Dame in October and then they, they ranked him 59th on their December 6th updates. Yeah. And then for some reason, when they did their updates again a month and a half later, after zero football was played, he dropped to 129, 70 spots. So sure. Happens. Sure. Yeah. You know, you know, after he rushes for 300 yards in the state championship game and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> sure. So that's why I don't care about the rankings, man. I, I've told, especially now 247, 247, I, I care very little now. I used to respect 247's rankings. I don't anymore. And because uh, I just, I know the person in charge of that and I just, hard pass for me but um they got to finish well right like they're ranked number three with two four seven they're ranked number two with rivals part of that's because they just have more guys than than other people some people yeah. yeah you know like they rank ahead of georgia because they have more players than georgia georgia has a much higher um per player whatever much higher average. per player thing yeah a much higher per player average than notre dame um, right now, Notre Dame's 40-some points ahead of Georgia, but that's because they have 16 recruit commits and Georgia has 12. You know, Notre Dame is ahead of Ohio State by 162 points. That's because they have three more commits than Notre Dame. If you think about it, it doesn't require Ohio State to get a bunch of five stars to pass them. The one school that's in the top the, the top group that Notre Dame actually – they actually still do have a higher per-player average than LSU, who's number five, and a higher per-player average than Penn State number six. So they're not only successful because of the number, but that factors into it. I mean, that, that definitely factors into it. And and how many commits does Alabama have right now? Like six? They have, yeah, it's a low number. They'll jump up. up. Yes. You know, they'll, they'll obviously jump up. But at the end of the day, it that stuff doesn't matter a whole lot to me. It really doesn't. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ant VR says, in your opinion, was the Bodie Cahoon commitment expected this soon or was it a pushed up due to the class filling up and limited linebacker spots being available? I mean, we, we talked about this. We expected a little bit of both. this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of both. I, we expected that this was going to happen this week. We just didn't know that it was going to happen, you know, first thing Monday morning at seven o'clock in the morning. Like we just weren't right. sure about that part, but we expected it because as Brian talked a lot about earlier in the podcast, Bodie Cahoon is a guy that Notre Dame really likes a lot and has liked for a long time. So yeah, they were, they were good with taking the commitment, obviously anytime that he wanted to make it. Now that you are sitting, Notre Dame was up to 15 commits, obviously with the last with Tenny Rezac on Friday. So the, the class is starting to fill up a little bit. I'm not saying that's why, you know, the whole reason that Bodie was like, yeah, no, I got to do this now. But I think that there was a little bit of like, hey, man, like, you know, we're starting to fill up. Let's make this happen type of situation, especially if you're ready. Bodie was ready and Notre Dame was always ready to take his commitments at the end of the day. He was a player that Notre Dame wanted in the class and they got their guy in Bodie Cahoon. Right or wrong, debate or not debate, that is a fact that we are working with here is that they always wanted Bodie Cahoon in this class. There was never a doubt about that. Yeah, Ryan, I do think that Teddy Rezac committing probably had a little bit to do with the timing. But before we even knew who Teddy Rezac was, you had reported that Bodie had already begun the process of thinking about moving things up. Yes. There just was no need at the time because Notre Dame had zero commitments, a linebacker, and knew they were taking three. Right. But what, so again, I don't know for a fact that it impact, he could have still changed his mind and done what he did. I just, I just, to me, I just, again, I try to do this a long, I've been doing this a long time. And you say, you know, kid that wants to be here, this is what you see from kids who really want to be at a place. Yes. When the class starts filling up, say, okay, I know I wanted to, to do visits and all that, but I also know where I'm going and I want to make sure that I have my spot reserved. Yep. And there's a couple players in this 2024 class that will not end up at Notre Dame that are not going to end up at Notre Dame, even though they wanted to be at Notre Dame, but because they thought it was more important for them to kind of go on all the visits and they lost their spot. Now I'm not faulting those kids at all because you needed to do what you needed to do. If you're not comfortable and ready to commit, then don't commit. I'm totally on board with that, but that's a fact, Ryan. I mean, they're, they're just kids who are going to end up missing this and this happens everywhere. But Notre Dame is, and Notre Dame's turned down some players that would probably get people more excited than some of the guys they've gotten to take the guys they're getting. So I think the the question is the again, do you trust their evaluation or not? And if you do, then you're going to like what you see. If you don't, then you're going to be a little bummed. And I think that's fair. And that's that's we should always be able to have those conversations. 
What bothered me in the discussion today was not that there weren't so, there, there were some people that had questions about Bodie Coon. I had questions about Bodie Coon when I first saw his film, Ryan. You know that. I wasn't in love with him the first time I saw him. But over time, you start to get more context. You see the lacrosse film. You see the sophomore film. You, you, you learn more about him as a player. And you start to say, okay, I see some things now that I really like. But I'm okay with people being up. But it's the some of the silliness that you start, oh, how's he any different than Drew White? Really? Like. <laughs> I can name you two a and a half inches. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, you, you know, the Notre Dame, so you're, you're the next JD Bertrand. Well, they're not saying he's the same kind of player. They're talking about, they're talking about the type of play, you know, the type of role he's going to have at Notre Dame. Not so much. JD started at Will and Mike for Notre Dame. That's kind of what they're talking about. It's, it's, it's the, all my fault for reporting that. That's yeah. what they told Well, you, should, you shouldn't fault. have to, you know, I mean, I get what you're saying, but you shouldn't have yeah. to worry about that. People should be able to kind of, understand those type of things but some of the stuff about oh he's a reach or they're or they're reacting to this those are all false if you want to have a conversation with us about is this a guy that is Notre Dame caliber that's a always a fair conversation always always and I'll never tell you ever tell you to just trust the staff I'll say hey look this is what they think and and and, and this is where they're coming from and all that but I'll never say, well, you're wrong for not just believing the staff is always right. That'll never come out of my mouth. You know, I'll explain to you what they think, but it'll never come out of my, out of my mouth. And and this kind of goes into this next question, Ryan, from from Nathan Milton, that I that I kind of want to address this along with it as well. And Milton says, do you have a higher level of confidence in the type of projection players Coach Marcus Freeman gets vice dur- during BK era? If so, why? I can't really say that I know the answer to that question because we haven't seen many of Marcus Freeman's players. The reason that, for example, that I'm, that I would say, I would tend to say yes. If I had to say it was because of, I look at what he built at Cincinnati on defense. And I say, this guy can clearly identify talented players, but you talk to those, the coaches at Notre Dame that were since they'll say, we didn't think sauce Gardner was going to come to Notre Dame be a top five overall or since they'd be a top five overall pick. But we thought he was going to be pretty good for that level. But they saw a lot of that. They saw that in Kobe Bryant. They saw that in James Wiggins. They saw that in all those kids that are ended up. I mean, they've had more. Marcus Freeman's had more guys drafted off of his Cincinnati defense than Notre Dame has had off their defense, I believe, in the last three years. That's Makes correct. Makes right? sense. I think that's yeah. correct. Yeah. Certainly had more high level draft picks taken. And so, like, certain coaches, I do believe, like Mike Mickens, it, but it's not based off what he's done at Notre Dame as much as what he's done at other places. If he only produced Benjamin Morrison, I'd say, well, yeah, I thought Benjamin Morrison was a dude too. So, I mean, how much credit am I going to give the guy? But it's Nick Johnson. It's Kobe Bryant. It's Sauce Gardner. It's, and then what he's done as a coach. And that's the point you made earlier, Ryan. Part of the reason I trust Mike Mickens' evaluations is because I also trust him as a coach that he's going to develop these kids and get the most out of them. Right. And not all the coaches are that way, but the reason the reason that I have I would say ultimately why I have more confidence, and I'm going to be as as open about this as I can. Actually, I'm just going to be open about this. Part of the reason is is because of my evaluations tend to fit more with what they're looking for. Now, at the end of the day, that's what it's got to come down to for us. It, it can't come down to I like this guy more. Somebody said earlier, well, you, you're just saying this because you didn't like Brian Kelly. That's so childish. Just stop. stop. My issues with Brian Kelly's recruiting 
were because I'd pop in the film and say, uh-uh, I don't see it. I'm a freaking Notre Dame fan. Do you think I would have cared if Brian Kelly won a title at Notre Dame or not? No, I would have been thrilled because I'm a Notre Dame fan. But when I pop in the film and I say, I don't see it, that's a reach. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong. I think I'm right more often than I'm much more often than I'm wrong, but it was a disagreement in the players. There were times where I would defend guys during the Kelly era that they would sign Joe Alt. I, everybody said I hated Jeff Quinn and hated Brian Kelly. Go back and listen to what I said about Joe Alt when they got Joe Alt. Thrilled about it. Loved the upside. Cause it's not about whether I like somebody or not. It's do I have to trust my instincts and my eye, Ryan. I think you tweeted about something like that today, right? And if, if you were to come to me and I would give you two seconds of a, Hey, Brian, this is what I think. And I say, no, I think you're wrong. I like to see Okay, cool. I I, I don't like that guy anymore. Hey, Ryan, you need to find something else to do. Right. Now I would want you to be open to what I'm telling you and take into consideration and say, Hey, you know what? Driscoll, your likes, I got, let me go back and look at him, which I know you've done. And I do the same thing with you because you have to trust other people's uh, analysis. At the end of the day, my opinion about why I like the players that Marcus Freeman is bringing in is because when I pop in the film, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I see. That's what I see Clemson getting. I see Clemson getting a bunch of long, athletic, power defensive linemen. They recruited them for years, and eventually they got the right coaching in there, and those guys were dominant. Now, they got some five stars too, no sure. doubt, but Notre Dame's got some highly ranked guys in this conversation as well. But it's about a brand of, of recruit that I want. I want the long athletic dudes. Give me the ceilings over the floors if I have to choose one or the other. Almost every time. Almost. And that's what I see. I, I loved Drew White as a football player coming out of college, high, high school. Did you ever watch him play? In, I remember watching him play against, uh, I think it was Bishop Gorman on national team. He had like 17 tackles. He went to all uh, over the field. He, he was, was at what's St. Thomas right? Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas, yeah. Yeah. So they played in a one of those national games and he had like 17 tackles. But yeah. you always knew that Drew was going to be a little bit limited because of the size. The funny thing is, is people say he wasn't very athletic. Drew White was very athletic, even with the injuries he had. He still ran yeah, a very four, good point. Seven at the at yeah, the and that's a guy that had multiple lower body injuries. He was very athletic. The the thing was he just if you're going to be that size, you have to be, uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, uh, his 40 time, I believe, was better than N'Kobe Dean's, wasn't it? Did N'Kobe Dean end up running? I feel like he didn't run. I thought he did at the pro day. But I, let, right. me go, let me look that up. Um, you know, so those are just some of the different things that I that I look for, Ryan. And I say, look, you, you need to find certain traits. I look for certain traits. Yeah, he ran a 4.74. A Nicobe Dean it ran a four seven four, is what he ran, and he ran a um, let's see shuttle. He ran a four three two shuttle. Drew White ran a four two flat shuttle, and Drew White also ran a six nine three cone, which is excellent. Yeah, excellent. So, but what was he? He was short and not long. So you can you can see that and say, hey, I, I, there's a lot to like. What I like is that this staff tends to take chances on traits, physical traits, not the Brian Kelly traits of, oh, he's a great kid. He's the, I'm talking physical traits. I'm, if I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss on a six-foot-five guy with vines. 
Yeah. That's what I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss on Bubakar Traore every day of the week, as opposed to, I don't want to say a name, a, a guy that's 6'2", 255, but plays with a great motor and has tons of heart. Every time. And that's ten. That's why I tend to go with this staff, Ryan. That's that's my stance on why I tend to give this side, this staff, a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. Is not so right. much because of anything they've done. It's just that my eyes tell me that their evaluation of this kid is correct. But not always. I mean, there's a couple kids, and I won't say who they are because that would go very bad. But there's a couple kids that you and I are extremely high on that I don't think they're as high on. Yeah. So this isn't an across the board everything. We're always on the same page. But more often than not. When they see a kid, when there's something that they see, I see it too, and that's what I trust. Whereas with Brian Kelly's staff, I'd have to like talk myself into why this makes sense, or well, they try to talk me into why it makes sense. When I evaluate players, I feel like my bias is always I always trend towards the upside of players, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm a big believer that if you have the people in place, you can get the most out of the talent that's in the room. So I have a very <laughs> – I'd say I have hesitation on this one, Brian, and Nathan, to your question. At certain positions, yes, I have more confidence in this staff than Brian Kelly's staff. But I can't say that I'm fully confident every single position coach level that they're going to get the most out of each and every group mm-hmm. that they're signing, right? Like, I'm I'm starting to see a lot – I'm hear a lot better things about Coach Washington, for instance, right? So can Coach Washington get the most out of the 2023 class? I'm starting to think he – possibly can and i sure hope he can but i can't say definitively right now that i have more confidence that he can get more than mike elston did at notre dame as far as for the talent that he had in the room like i can't say that but there are other positions like obviously wide receiver i have much more confidence that chancey stuckey is going to get the most out of his wide receivers than what Dell alexander did for instance right so i really think that this is very dependent on what coach is there because i am generally a fan of add impact talents as far as upside and let your coaches do their jobs as developers. I'm big on that. Because let's be honest, even some of the guys that we always talk about as high floor, you know, high floor type of players, they've missed sometimes too, man. Like yeah. they're not foregone conclusions to being good college players. So I do respect the people that take chances in recruiting. I do respect that sometimes. You have to balance it, but I do respect the thought process. But I can't sit here and definitively say, yes, I trust the staff as a whole entirely more. I trust Marcus Freeman more than the previous head coach. I do that. I trust wide receiver coach more than I did the previous staff. Mike Mickens is the same. So, yes, I trust him wholeheartedly. There are some positions that I definitely trust more. But I can't definitively say, like, yes, this entire staff, I trust more than the last staff. There's some nuance to that conversation in my Mm -hmm. All right, Ryan, let's get to We have a couple of super chats down here I want to get to here uh, from uh, start with DJ Holman. DJ Holman says, Carson, 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 how many defensive accolades has uh, LeBron James gotten? LBJ has only passed Michael Jordan. And one thing that matters, finals losses. Jordan is the GOAT, could win by himself. I mean, no, he couldn't. <laughs> no one could win by himself. I mean, yeah. look, look, DJ, I was with you until the last part, right? Like, first of all, I don't think Jordan's the GOAT. I don't think that you can define a GOAT because everything that they tell me you need to uh, makes Jordan the GOAT, I can find in someone else. Look at Jordan's scoring, okay? He didn't score like Wilt, right? I mean, you know, so so if it's just about the scoring, okay, he, he didn't, he didn't um, um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm Chamberlain we'll averaged 50 points a game yeah. one season. So. Yeah. <laughs> Without yeah. three pointers. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, so Jordan, great player, right? I yes. mean, great player. Uh, but, you know, hey, look, there's other guys that scored more than him. Um, you know, so you know, I think him and Wilt, I think, averaged the same amount of points. And that, and that was in an era where, I mean, Wilt had zero, zero three pointers. Jordan at least played in a three point era. Yeah. But, you know, okay, that that's not really where I'm – I can't go there with you. I mean, Oscar Robinson averaged a triple-double for an entire season one time. Jordan's never done that. I mean, so there, you can always – you can't go by so, – oh, it's about championships. Okay, well, then Bill Russell's the greatest of all time because he's got 11. Yeah, ten. What do you want? He won like 11. 10 in 11 years, right? He won 11, like yeah. I mean, and one is a player coach, Yeah. right? I mean – you know, so and here's the deal. You want to know why you can't do it all by yourself? Go look at Michael Jordan's record before Larry Bird, like, kind of broke down and sort of retired. Jordan never beat Larry Bird in the, in the playoffs ever. I think one. Remember the year that he scored us uh, before your time run? He scored like 69 yeah. points in the game, and they lost to the Celtics because you can't do it all by yourself. It's wild, man. And 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 this isn't an insult. Jordan doesn't win a title or six titles if they don't get Pippen and. Horace Grant and a lot of those guys. And then the sure. second round, Dennis Rodden. And that's not to take anything away from Michael Jordan. It, th- it's the same argument I used for John Elway. Well, of course he won when you finally put a team around him because he's the GOAT, you know, so to speak, you know, or the, the best, one of the best quarterbacks ever play. You finally give him a real team and he dominates. Well, that's what happened with Jordan. He finally got a team that, like his piss, the team, the piston teams that used to beat Jordan, it's because it was him against hey, boys. An entire team. It wasn't until they had more help, he got more help that he became, and now he could then t- elevate that team. So I was with you till the end. But if I had to choose between LeBron James and Michael Jordan, there's no question who I'm taking. And could you imagine? And, th- and I know that a lot of old people say this and it drives young people nuts, but could you imagine the kind of points per game that Larry Bird, Michael Jordan would be scoring in today's era with the way they call fouls now? Yeah. Come on, man. You know, I mean, it's great because Jordan did all that and Bird did all that without three pointers. That I mean, Bird was a great three point shooter. He just didn't shoot three pointers a lot because it just wasn't part of the game back then. But you're telling me if Larry Bird didn't grow up in this era, he wouldn't shoot a million three pointers and be phenomenal at it. Oh, he would. Yeah. Guy was six ten and he won three straight three point shooting contests in a row. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, it, it's ridiculous. But as far as the first part, man, I mean. I mean, isn't is a no-brainer. If it comes down to who am I picking to start my team, Michael Jordan or LeBron James, it's a no-brainer. I'm taking Michael Jordan. It's not even a conversation. I don't even know if LeBron would be the first small forward that I would take, to be completely honest with you. But, uh, yeah, the last part's the only thing I disagree with you on, DJ, is, is you can't win all by yourself. And Jordan's results against the Celtics and Pistons pre them really building that team up are, are examples of that to me. D- DJ, leave my boy Carson alone, though, man. We need to we need to get back on the podcast. The young bucks, though, man, they they don't know. I mean, because like they they just look at like like JJ Reddick's absurd comments about Larry Bird and the NBA in the eighties. He has no clue. I he, he doesn't have that. any idea. No, he said he said basically the NBA today is more physical than it was in the eighties. JJ Reddick said that. JJ, like literally half the Detroit Pistons team would have been suspended from the league. Oh yeah, Bill Lambeer would have been suspended six times from the. I mean, he he borderline arrested. (laughs) He was the dirtiest player I've ever seen, like the biggest scumbag. I'm sorry, Notre Dame fans, I know he's a Notre Dame alum, scumbag, biggest scumbag because he was trying to hurt people. 
That's the thing I hate about Bill. He was trying to hurt people. And so I just, I despise that guy. But the Pistons now, I mean, they, the entire team, except for Isaiah, would foul out. Don't tell me it's today. Did you see like, Gilbert Arenas always is going on these long, stupid tangents about why modern players are so much better in former? I'm just shut up, dude. Like, it's a, so I don't want to be like one of those guys, those old head type of dudes. But look, you just look at the style of, of the game back then and compare it to now. If, if guys back then were playing now with the emphasis on three pointers and, and how they call fouls, like Larry Bird and Michael Jordan would be good for 15 a night just from the stripe. I mean, you know what I mean? Just like just from the stripe. And uh, the the other one I laugh at is like, well, Bird Bird couldn't dominate today's era because he's not athletic enough. I'm like, have you not seen Luca play? Larry Bird is a better athlete than Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic, and he dominates. You know, so um, also it also is funny. Joel Embiid won the MVP this year, but Nikola Jokic won it two years in a row, and he is not a very good athlete at all. No, so, no. Yeah. All right, let's get let's get back on track to some football stuff. Next super chat is from Andrew Burke. Thank you so much for the super chat. Notre Dame goes eleven and one next year and loses in the semis in the college football playoff. Ohio State goes ten and two, losing to Notre Dame and Michigan, and fires Ryan Day. OSU offers Marcus Freeman as their head coach. What happens? I think Marcus Freeman says thanks, but no thanks. I hate these. I mean, there's this notion that Marcus Freeman would just jump at the chance to go to Ohio State, maybe someday. But you got to think about this practically. If Notre Dame goes eleven and one and goes to the college football playoff, Ohio State goes ten and two and they fire their head coach, who a year prior was within the two players. points of beating yeah. the defending champs and the eventual national champions, and has been a a ten plus game winner every year, and they fire him. Why would I want to go there? Now I would use their interest to get me more money for myself and my staff in Notre Dame. But what would be the appeal other than him being an alum? And I just, I don't think that every alum just pines to go back to his alma mater no matter what. If Notre Dame went to the playoff this year, he'd be in a pretty good freaking situation at Notre Dame. So I think this assumption that he would, and I'm not saying Andrew's saying that, I'm saying there are some people who do believe that that would be the answer to Andrew's question. It's a very fair question. I, I think what happens in that situation is he stays in Notre Dame. I also don't think Ohio State's firing Ryan Day because he goes ten and two and loses to Notre Dame and Michigan. I just that would be so absurd. I'm not that sure about so that. Absurd. One. I'm that not would sure be about so that absurd. One. If he loses to Michigan for the third straight year, they might. I don't yeah. know, man. But based, I mean, to me, it's like there's no evidence that Ohio State. Well, they did that to John Cooper. I've pointed this out before. John Cooper had two bad seasons before they fired him. It wasn't just because they lost a bunch because he lost a bunch to Michigan. But it wasn't until he had two bad seasons in a row that they fired him. So there's no evidence of that. It's I think sometimes we project onto decision makers the stupidity that we hear from fans. And because fans feel a certain way about things, that that must mean what the school means. And no, I, I just I have a hard time believing that the administration would fire him after a 10 and two season, there's, there's no evidence that Ohio state is, has that kind of administration. The fan now, listen, Ryan, if it was up, if it was left up to a fan vote to fire him or not, he's gone. It's gone. He's out of here. I just don't think Gene Smith is stupid. You may not like Gene Smith, but he's not stupid. He's a savvy guy. And I just, I think he would know we're going to have a really hard time convincing a big time coach to come here to replace a guy who's basically been in the playoffs almost every year. He's been head coach. 
Uh, it's going to be tough. You're gonna, what they're going to do is they're going to think they're going to get Marcus Freeman in that situation. They're going to end up with Luke Fickle is what would happen. So Luke. careful what you wish for, Buckeyes. Careful what you wish for. Luke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have a super sticker from Nathan Milton. Th- Nathan, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so let's get to a uh, couple more. got this question right here from Corey Keene. Right? I'm going to ask this one because it's uh, more for you. What do you think, Corey Keene asked, what do you think this means for Chris Cole, referring to the Bodie Cahoon commitment? Do you, do we shoot for four linebackers, or is it just Kingston, Viliyama, Asa, now, go Irish? Uh, I'll say this real quick and set you up, Ryan. It's neither one of those options. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I think that what we're looking at here, Corey, is that there's a hierarchy on the board here, right? Notre Dame is still going to recruit Chris Cole. They still very much like Chris Cole. Chris Cole is coming for an official visit in June. But I would say for me, Kingston is the clear top guy on the board. He's the guy that they want to end up in this class. So I think there's just there's just a little bit of a hierarchy. But I don't think by any stretch that they're going to stop recruiting Chris Call and put all their eggs in the basket because we know that that could burn you sometimes, right? So I think they will continue to recruit Chris Call hard. They will see where things go, obviously, in, in June because there is a situation where you don't end up with Kingston in the class. And if you don't end up with Kingston in the class, then you need to find another option there, right? And they like Chris Cole. They will consider it, they will continue to continue to recruit Chris Cole, but I do not think they go to four. I think three is the number as of right now. Things can always change, but that just seems to be the number for Notre Dame this cycle. Yeah, I just um I'll concur with what Ryan said. I don't see any scenario in which they go to four. I just I don't. But when we say that Kingston's their top option, you guys realize they're not going to just only recruit him. This staff has shown now the previous staff would have done that. They would have pretty much dropped it and said, We're gonna put all our eggs in this basket. This staff doesn't do that. People say, Well, why are you still offering this guy? Well, th- is this kid committed yet? No. Okay, then they're gonna keep recruiting people till that guy commits. And then that's kind of how they're gonna do it. But um, yeah, I uh I I don't see them going to four. I think the only way they go to four, Ryan, is if there's some sort of – it would be like down the road because there's yeah. like some sort of departures from the current roster or some kid just blows up and has like a monster senior season. You're like, yeah, we can't pass on this kid. Yeah. But I, I just don't see a scenario in which they would do that, Ryan. Yep. Now, as of right now, we have Rob Osgood with the next question. Says, I am excited to see the staff working hard. Do you think that June – We'll be like last June when Notre Dame had a great month in, in commits. Love hard, wor- love hard work paying off. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Rob. Appreciate the question so much. So we hit on this a little bit earlier, but I do think that June could be a monumental month for Notre Dame in 2024 as it was in 2023. If you look back to just kind of the impact that the staff was able to have last month, I mean, last year, and again, we're talking about especially in those that visit schedule and, and working especially – the next month and a half after the blue gold game last year, talking about the impact they had with Jaden Osbury, Jaden Greathouse, really moving the needle with some of those guys, right? Being able to close on a couple defensive players in that time as well. The Christian Grays, who obviously were, you know, Ohio State was on them, LSU, USC was even a team that was, you know, had Christian's attention for a little bit. I do think that you're going to get a lot of clarity at certain spots because the great thing about June this year, especially. Because I feel like there's a couple position groups that are really well represented in the official group visitor list. Like I mentioned safety earlier. You already are going to have at least at safety on campus for official visits in June. You're going to have Marquise Gallegos out of California. You're going to have 
Davis Andrews from Utah come back for a visit. You're going to have Jalen McLean, who is the New Jersey product. And you are you also are probably going to try to get DeWan Lane in for an official visit at some point. So there's a lot of clarity that's going to happen at safety in 2024 in June. There's no doubt about it. You're also going to see some clarity at the defensive line. Elijah Rushing is going to be on campus for an official visit. Malachi Williams is going to be on campus. Logan Thomas has already planned a couple trips back to campus. So June, yes, I believe is going to be a month of clarity for the Notre Dame class, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Because when you th- and I mean, I, I know that Brandon talked about this the other day on the board, Brandon Plesner, but there's also a couple key offensive linemen that are going to be visiting early on in June as well. So there are several positions that I think you're going to get tremendous clarity. And I also would just say, Rob, that a lot of the guys that are on Notre Dame's board that they're pushing hard for are guys that are planning on making a decision by senior year. There aren't a ton of players that are planning to go into the fall as of right now. There just aren't a lot of guys on the board. So I think clarity comes in June, and then you start seeing the dominoes continue to fall as Notre Dame is already at 16 now. Ryan, this kind of question right here from Kevin, I think fits into with what you were talking about earlier. Kevin says, my big question is with there being a potential need at tight end, which I, I don't think there is right now, but potential, sure. Possibility of getting 16 linemen, a second back, a possibility of receiver and cornerback. Can you use four spots at linebacker and that doesn't include a line? I, I think this is part of it, the conversation. Sure, Kevin, is if Notre Dame is going to go beyond a position, linebacker would not be the position they go beyond. Yeah, It'd be a second back, which I think is a need now. It'd be a fourth receiver, a second tight end because Carter Nelson wants to come. It'd be a fourth offensive lineman. It'd be a third corner, a fourth safety. I just And I think part of it too, Ryan, is not because – of anything other than this is just not a year at linebacker where you're just going to want to go past your numbers because of the current makeup of your team, but also because it's not a great linebacker class overall. It's just, it just, so I think that factors into it as well. There's a lot of, I mean, there's some years where we're like, dude, we got to go beyond because there's just too many good players at this position this year. I mean, there's just, (laughs) we just can't afford to not bring a guy in. There's not a lot of positions like that this year on defensive line, which is even the only reason they're even considering a fourth defensive end is because of that right there, though, right? Because it is a really good edgier. Yeah. And well, and so th- that's one where they're like, man, they're just, you know, we can't say no to Bryce Young. We can't say no to Cole Mullins. We can't say no to Logan Thomas. And we can't say no to Elijah Rushing and Malachi Williams. So we may have to go over our numbers. That's also another reason why you don't do that at a position where it's not a great year. And I think Notre Dame is finally at the point in their roster, Ryan, where there's just nowhere that they need to take numbers to fill a to fill a dire need, right? Outside of maybe running back because we project estimate a leave after the season, most likely. At least that's our our hundred percent our opinion. Not well, I don't have any intel telling me that. It's just my opinion. But uh, I think I think the last two classes, for the most part, have helped alleviate a lot of that stuff especially on the defensive side of the ball where now you're trying to get impact players other than and not just numbers with the exception of running back and what safety those are the only two and running back only because of you know you're you're going to lose a couple veterans early probably well i i think that uh, kevin for this question i would say that it's very nuanced and it changes quickly because we're sitting here today talking about numbers that could change very quickly. I mean, you're only a major injury away, a player transferring away, a player you expected to enter 
the NFL draft next year that decides to come back that wasn't what you forecasted. I think the big thing, though, and the reason that the numbers are kind of what they are right now is that we do need to remember that there's a difference between our outside perception and what the Notre Dame coaching staff and recruiting staff knows of the roster. Because I look at this tight end group right now in Notre Dame as far as on the roster in 2023, and I'm like, I would seriously consider taking a second tight end in this class. One, because I think Corey Nelson's really good, but also you have some major injury question marks on this roster. You know, like Eli Raritan, I think, is another injury setback away from like, hey, man, like this is this is very troubling <laughs> as far as the long term, right? Like, is he going to come back? Kevin Bauman's a guy that's been injured. You lost Kane Barang this offseason. Like, there's just, there's been a lot of, Neg- I don't say better word for it. There's been a lot of attrition at the tight end spot as far as injuries are concerned, right? So my perception is I think I would consider a second tight end in the class. But you know who would know more about those injuries than I would? It's the Notre Dame coaching staff and the strength and conditioning staff. Like they would know a lot more than I would. So we do need to just cut 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 people slack some time and be like, hey man, they know their team a little bit better than as far as like the in and outs of like everyday rehabilitation and how they're really loving being it, a part it, of the it's roster. not just that though ryan either it's you, people have to understand that this offensive staff is different than the one before they're not going to live in 12 and 13 all game like they have in the past either this is a staff that wants to be able to go 12 wants to be able to go 13 but also wants to do a bunch of 11 and when you're a team that wants to base yourself out of 11 and actually do that you don't need seven tight ends you don't need six tight ends you need five on your roster and you only need too healthy to get to a game. I mean, they went in a bowl game and had two healthy tight ends and won the game and tight end wasn't an issue. Now you don't want to do that for 13 weeks, right? But they're a long way away from having to do that for 13 weeks. You know what I mean? Especially when you get Cooper Flanagan in. So, but that's why you, you be open to the idea of a second tight end, but you don't take a guy just to take a guy either. And that's like to Ryan's point. That's why, you know, you got to give them a little bit of doubt that they know this roster. And that includes, and we got plenty of running backs and receivers that can help us fill that. Because the thing is, with the second tight end, you don't always have to fill that spot with just a tight end. Kind of like, well, who's your slot receiver after so-and-so? Well, it's a tight end. It's a running back. It's a combination of the two. It's not always a receiver. Depends on what your strengths are from, from a personnel standpoint. And that factors into it as well. Next question from DMND13. Brian Driscoll, from your updated roster the other day, it looks like all three returning starting linebackers technically have two years of eligibility left. Do you think each will be welcomed back in 2024? I'd be shocked if all three of them came back. I had somebody on the board today that said none of them are coming back. Well, I, I think that's a reach as well. I, I could see at least one of them coming back, possibly two. I, I don't see all three. Uh, at the very least, you get Jack Kaiser or J.D. Bertrand back in 2024, in my opinion. If I had to bet, I'd probably bet on Jack Kaiser coming back. I could see D.J. being ready to go pro after this year. If he has a good year, I could, you know, like three-year starter, what else does he have to prove? You know, he just risks injury, things like that. Maybe Jack Kaiser comes back to be a full-time inside guy. I'm not sure, but, I mean – I, I'd be shocked if all three of them came back, Ryan. I'd be more shocked if all three came back than all three leave, to be completely honest with you at this point in time. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, that's I, we're a long way away from that one, obviously, right, Dan? I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a tough question to answer right now. I mean, 
because all of them are going to be graduated at that point, right? I mean, if to Brian's point, if if JD has another season where he leads Notre Dame in tackles, for instance, and he has some production, I mean, he's not going to get longer by staying another year at Notre Dame. Like he's not going to grow two inches, you know, in his sixth year at Notre Dame or whatever it would be at that point. So that, we shall see. We shall see. You always need some veteran leadership, but I also do think that you need to balance it as far as not blocking guys from playing, right? Correct. So, yeah. Correct. Or taking snaps away from guys that need those snaps, even even if it's not just a starting lineup, but it's also you're taking reps away from guys as right. well in practice, which is a big part of it. Next question is from Mike Sullivan. Can a walk-on be offered a scholarship for this year and be returned to walk-on status next year? Yes. It, now, obviously, obviously, if you're, it part of it depends on the 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 conversation you have with the player. Most walk-ons are granted scholarships. They know it's for a year, and then it gets re-upped every year or not. There's usually an understanding of it's for this year. So as long as you're honest with a kid, hey, listen, we're going to put you on scholarship this year. We have the need, but it's not guaranteed for you the next year. As long as you're honest with kids, that's there's nothing wrong with that. Because yeah. for most kids, like you come to Notre Dame knowing you're going to be paying your own way for four years. And if you get a year reprieve, that's like a $70,000 year reprieve. That's a pretty big year reprieve. Your, your parents are pretty happy on that yeah, one. That's absolutely. Pretty. So it just depends on what the conversation is. But there's nothing locking a kid into a multi-year scholarship as a walk-on unless you give him your word you're going to do that. And even then, you don't have to honor that. You're a piece of crap if you don't, but, you know, you don't have to. There's nothing legally binding unless you sign a legal contract, which there's no way a school's going to do that, in my opinion. There's no way he's, they're going to do that.